Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this 135th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include photographer Lisa S. Johnson. We'll talk about her new book, Immortal Axis, Guitars That Rock. We'll also visit with actress and culinary expert Jessica Collins about the new series Acapulco, which is available now on Apple TV+. We'll also visit with actress and singer-songwriter Karen David. The Season 7 of Fear the Walking Dead will premiere October 17th on AMC. We'll also visit with author Joe Posnanski as a new book, The Baseball 100. And our final guest will be author Joseph Weisberg. We'll talk about the new book, Russia Upside Down. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, comment, leave some feedback, check out the shop, and of course, share with your friends. Now, Adele's new album was heavily influenced by her recent divorce, and she thinks it might inspire people to break up. Adele said in a Vogue UK interview, quote, Can you imagine couples listening to the song about my divorce in the car? It would be so awkward. I think a lot of women are going to be like, I'm done. Now, her divorce didn't end on a bad note, though. She said that it wasn't just right for her anymore. She says, quote, I didn't want to end up like a lot of other people I knew. I wasn't miserable, but I would have been miserable had I not put myself first. You know, we love rock music. We love guitars. And uh, we're going to talk about an, an exciting book. It's Immortal Axes, Guitars That Rock. We've got Lisa S. Johnson with us today. And Lisa, I, I'm not sure if it's guitar or guitar or wh what we're going to talk about, but uh, it's a privilege to visit with you. Well, it's my privilege to be with you, truly. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to chat about my work. Now tell us where did when did the photography of guitars and, and when did photography become a love of yours I guess is is where we should start with first off yeah, I guess when I was about 23, living in Florida, I decided I had to go to college and I put myself through photography uh, school. And uh, photography was something that, and guitars was something that my father had a passion for. And my parents were divorced when I was very young. And I was always trying to find ways to connect with my dad. And it turned out that photography and guitars was that avenue. And um, after I finished my college, I ended up getting a job with Eastman Kodak Company and landed in um, Memphis, Tennessee. And I started going to the Unity Church and the guitar player at church asked me out on a date. And my father growing up told me I was not allowed to date musicians. So <laughs> I, I called him up, I'm like, dad, I'm dating a musician. However, he is the guitar player at church and he happens to own a vintage guitar store. He owned Rod and Hank's Vintage Guitar Store in Memphis. And my dad was like, that's different. He's not a touring musician. <laughs> and he goes to church and he owns a vintage guitar store. Even better, if he ever gets in a Gibson mandolin, I've always wanted one. And so two weeks later, uh, he gets in this Gibson mandolin. I said, how much? I want to get this for my dad as a, as a present. And he said, you can't afford it. But if you photograph some guitars for me, I have to sell that I don't want to sell. I'll trade you for the mandolin. So I was done deal. I photographed these vintage guitars for him and for the first time I fell in love with my photography and soon after that about six months after that Kodak moved me to New York City and I thought 
I want to keep photographing guitars. I'm in New York. I may as well photograph famous ones. And they seeded the idea. I could, I could do a book on this. This could be, you know, something that substantial. And uh, Les Paul played every Monday night at the Iridium Room. So my dad used to play Les Paul and Mary Ford growing up. I didn't know anybody in New York. So I beelined it to the Iridium Room where I felt like a comfortable scene, kind of like my dad was there in a way. And um, Les Paul let me photograph his guitar. And it started there, like in 1996. Wow! And uh, you talked about uh, going to the Iridium. Not even sure you were going to have the opportunity to get the to get the picture. But what are, what is uh, you've gone any and everywhere to get these photos? And where do you find the inspiration for the for the different angles, the 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 story that comes out of the photos? I mean, how how are you able to pull those when when sometimes you don't even know you're going to have the opportunity, right? Right. I never know what I'm going to get. I show up on the scene. I have about one hour. I have to set up and tear down, including that hour time frame. So I don't have a whole lot of time. The guitar, I let the guitars talk to me, you know, I just, I, I bring I bring a standard black velvet background if I have nothing else to use. I'm very fast on my feet and I'm, I've got a very quick eye and so I, I'm targeting where I'm going to set this guitar up as I'm setting up my lights and pulling my camera gear out. If I'm lucky enough to be in the artist's home, then that makes it really easy because it's in their environment and so I can place it somewhere and I just bam, I just get in there and I do it. And uh, I'm definitely riding on adrenaline the whole time because it's uh, a lot. I'm thinking, I'm speaking to them at the, as I'm shooting. I'm writing down notes about the instrument. I'm working with the guitar tech or with the artist. So it's, um, it's pretty unbelievable. And sometimes, like, I don't even know what I got until I get home and I upload <laughs> the images. And then I'm just like, oh, my God, wow. <laughs> now, are there some of, the, some of the guitars that you've come across? I know I've been to some hallowed grounds, so, you know, the Ryman Auditorium, the Grand Ole Opry, and, and some of those great big venues. Do you get that same kind of feeling whenever you're coming into the room with a, with an extra special guitar? Are there, are there some that you feel the energy when you walk in the room? Oh, 100%. Um, of course, you know, when you walk into the, a venue, and, and even, even if it's during sound check or something, there's like that feeling in the room when you, in, in the arena or the venue of this heightened energy because this band that you love is going to be performing soon like there's a frequency in the air and so and then when you when they bring the guitars over you know the guitar techs really love these guitars too you know it's not just the artists they love their jobs and they love working with these instruments and there's a reverence there so you know you you pull them out and you lay them down on a on a velvet um cloth or in the in the environment and um yeah there's just this feeling and this vibration that that comes off the guitar and that's in the room and that feeds me when I'm doing the shoot too. Now do you still get butterflies? Are there certain opportunities that you still get the butterflies the nerves really kick in more than others? Um, I'm pretty calm, you know, I'm a yogi, so I do a lot of breath work and I'm, I'm pretty chill. I mean, in my early days, I used to have, um, butterflies in my stomach and now I don't, um, to be honest with you, I really don't. I'm just, I'm grateful. I have this feeling of joy. Like I'm just like super like happy to be where I am and, um, and feeling grateful and just enjoying the moment really. 
That's right. And again, the book, uh, the, the photography book, Immortal Axes, Guitars That Rock. Lisa, I want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can find not only more info about that, but uh, but also all of your other work as well. Yeah, you can go to my website, immortalaxes.com. You can sign up for my newsletter, which I don't send out too much once every every month or every other month and uh, there's a button you can click there that'll take you straight to amazon.com to get the best price on the book but it's available everywhere it's being distributed by the chronicle books so there you can't get any better distribution than chronicle and um, you'll be able to find it at your favorite book bookstore as well all right well again immortal axes guitars that rock go check it out and again lisa thank you so much for your time i I appreciate you sharing the story behind it and uh, hopefully we can catch up again awesome thank you my friend have a great day we do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode smiley's breezy vapes at 313 falcon road you can give them a call at 580-471-VAPE That's 580-471-8273. They've always got the latest hardware and they've got the largest selection of disposable flavors in Southwest Oklahoma. They've got special savings on their Wacky Wednesdays and Saturdays. Check them out on Facebook for more information. Have you settled on a Halloween costume yet? If not, Google has a tool that's supposed to help you find the perfect one. It's called Costume Wizard. It debuted in 2019, but not a lot of people know about it. It's got four different options that let you dial in the type of costume you want to wear. First, you choose your desired spookiness level on a scale from 0 to 100. Then you choose between classic or modern costumes. There's also a button that lets you base everything on the top trending costumes in your area or the entire U.S., And at the bottom, there's another scale from 0 to 100 that lets you choose your desired uniqueness. If you mess with the settings, you'll get all kinds of ideas. For example, I checked up under classic costume with the spookiness and uniqueness set to 0, and it said that an angel is the perfect costume. Then we asked for a modern costume and set spookiness and uniqueness to 100, and it said to dress as a character from the movie Saw. You can check it out at frightgeist.withgoogle.com. Just look for Costume Wizard in the top left corner. Got a new series on Apple TV Plus that is available now. It is called Acapulco, and we've got uh, Jessica Collins on with us. And first off, Jessica, appreciate you taking some time to be on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, tell our listeners just a little bit about the new comedy series. Kind of goes back and forth uh, back in the day a little bit. Uh, Acapulco back in the 80s. And and Jessica, how much fun was it to transport yourself back in time, if you will? Oh, my gosh. It was so much fun. I mean, I was I was around in 1984, but I was a kid. And so to be able to this, this was much more exciting this time around. Um, you know, we we a lot of people don't know this, but because of COVID, we shot this during the pandemic, and so we were, the cast and crew was bubbled at this resort. We actually lived at the resort together, um, away from our family and friends, and just, just huddled together. So we felt like we were living in 1984, you know, when, <laughs> when they weren't shooting at the pool, uh, if it was our day off or the weekend, we were, we were swimming in those pools, and we were, you know, eating in the restaurants, and 
really, you know, it, it wasn't a bad place to go to work. I'll tell you that for three months. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to make the sacrifices. All Somebody's right. Somebody's got to make TV shows. Yes. <laughs> and, and Jessica, what did you learn from pandemic shooting? How much different was it? And, and how have you had to adjust your craft a little bit uh, to, to fit in accordingly? Well, I, you know, we all did. I mean, it was, it was hardest on our, our crew uh, who, you know, they, they have to wear, we all have to wear our masks all the time. We got a little break as actors when we're shooting, we got to take them off. But I mean, you get used to that, the masks and the shields. Um, there's a whole new department on movie and TV sets, which is the COVID team. And they took great care of us. Everyone was fully committed to creating a safe uh, work environment, and and they kept us safe. I'm so grateful to them. Uh, it is a very different way of working. And, you know, we have all these gorgeous extras, and they were in little bikinis and, and things, and, and the men were in the Speedos, and all of them, you know, they would, they would call, like, a warning before we'd start shooting, and they all had, like, every costume had a little place for everyone to tuck their mask into like their speedo or their bikini. They had sewed in little pockets for them. And uh, so it's, it's a very interesting way to work, but you know, somehow um, with a lot of hard work, we, we got this show done and um, you know, and, and hopefully there won't be any masks. In this <laughs> no, no Starbucks cups or anything like that in the background. That's right, what you're right. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit. Uh, how close is Diane to the to the real Jessica, or was it a real stretch for you? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, well, Diane is uh, she's she's based on very real people to me. She's she's a very broad character, as you'll all see. But uh, she's based on women that I knew in my own life from my own experiences. You know, these women that when they walked in the room, it was their world from then on, you know, but, but they also made you feel really important and special and needed and included. And, uh, you know, that's Diane. She's, it, it is all about her. It is all about her world, but she adores her staff. They are her family and, um, you know, they're the most important thing in the world to her. And I think that, that you really do see that all through the series with her, her, she's just so proud of, of her staff. They're like, they're her children. That's right. Now, now being a culinarian as well, how did yeah. how did that play into your uh, your time management over pandemic? I mean, did you did you find some new culinary uh, dishes and new inspirations, if you will? Well, you know, uh, I, I found a whole new way of cooking because remember in the beginning when we couldn't get things like flour and you know bananas and things, <laughs> it was such a weird <laughs> time. I, I actually have a a, a blog. Uh, where I uh, put my recipes and I had to change the whole thing, but we had a lot of fun and I started making all these three ingredient recipes. And if you can't find tomatoes, you can use tomato juice. And if you can't <laughs> find that, you can use tomato paste, you know, all the ketchup, uh, you know, how we could make food with very limited uh, resources. So I would say that was the biggest change to my cooking and now some of those recipes I'm like yeah why wasn't I cooking like this all the time you know <laughs> if you're out of something you actually you know, just look in your pantry you probably got what you need to make a meal 
That's right. And uh, and another pandemic thing was uh, was was delving into the series on the on the streaming, the binging. Was there was there any particular binge that you really got stuck on uh, during pandemic? Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, well, we've had time for a lot of them, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> Just one. Um, you know, the one that I love so much is uh, Ted Lasso. I think it's just great. You know, like a lot of people, uh, that's exactly what I needed during the pandemic. I, I really uh, gravitated towards things that made me laugh, you know, because the world is so heavy and still is so heavy. And uh, that's what I hope our show Acapulco does as well is it's just a 30 minutes of escapism. A lot of us haven't been able to travel mm-hmm. in the last year, year and a half. And, and I hope people watch it and they feel like they're on vacation for, for a little moment in time. That's right. And again, uh, the new episodes uh, premiering today on Apple TV plus yes. Acapulco, Jessica, I want to make sure and, uh, and let folks know more where they can find more about not only the, the, the series itself, but everything you've got going social media and the blog as well. Great. Yes. Yes. I, you can find my blog and my recipes at jessicacollins.com. That's pretty easy. And uh, you, can, you can definitely find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I'm on all of those as Jessica Collins as well. There you go. Well, Jessica, looking forward to the new episodes, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again real soon. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. We do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes at 313 Falcon Road. You can give them a call at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. They've always got the latest hardware and they've got the largest selection of disposable flavors in Southwest Oklahoma. They've got special savings on their Wacky Wednesdays and Saturdays. Check them out on Facebook for more information. Now, men and women fighting over the thermostat is an age-old problem, but the core issue might be older than we realized. Like millions of years old. A team of scientists in Israel think they finally figured out why women always feel colder than men. There might be an evolutionary reason behind it. Researchers at Tel Aviv University say it's not just an issue for humans. A lot of animals like birds and bats deal with it too. For example, female birds tend to migrate to warmer climates while male birds head for cooler ones when they're not mating. And with mammals, it's common to see males hanging out in the shade while females sit in the sun. Now the question is why? And now they think they have an answer. We may have evolved to feel temperature differently as a way of encouraging us to spend more time apart. When male and female birds migrate to different areas, it cuts down on competition for food. That way, the guys don't eat all the food their kids need to survive. And males can also be overly aggressive and dangerous to offspring, so that's another reason. Now, obviously, we're not birds, and deadbeat dads are a bad thing now, but humans and apes may have evolved to feel temperature differently, too. Because before we got all civilized, it wasn't necessarily good for males to be around all the time. A new season of Fear the Walking Dead returns the 17th, coming up on AMC. And uh, we've got Karen David with us. First off, Karen, it's uh, it's a privilege to have a chance to visit with you. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. 
the new season getting underway and uh, how much are you excited to finally be able to talk about Fear the Walking Dead? Because I know you've got to be held quiet for a while, right? Oh, all the time. That's the story of our lives on this show, you know, because we want to keep that element of surprise and it's very much like holding our breath for a while. So when we can talk a bit about it, um, we're so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and and your character, uh, Grace, has had uh, uh, some some really critical acclaim out of the l- latest episodes. And obviously, as we start the new season, uh, what do you we what should we expect from uh, from your character? Well, we know when we left off in season six that Grace is very much in a very dark place, having lost her baby, and moving forward into season seven in this new grim reality, which she knows all too well about. Um, she's having to uh, think about the safety of the people that she has come to care and love. And uh, she also has to navigate through her grief. She is living very much moment to moment. And um, she knows the, the implications of this nuclear fallout and the impact that will have on everyone. And she tried to convince Morgan back at the end of season six that the afterlife was going to be far better than this new grim reality but here we are in a much darker season seven and continuing with the anthology style you're very much going to see the lens focused uh on each of our characters and how we navigate through this um apocalyptic radiated (laughs) radiated world um and uh yeah it's um lot coming your way and it, it is very much darker this season and we're delving deeper into each of our characters so storylines it's essentially like a mini film you're going to see 16 mini films and i'm in constant awe of what our incredibly hardworking crew and our cast and creatives have have come up with this season so really excited for everyone to see what, what we've been up to so, so Karen, the uh, a lot of time art imitates reality, and the world's been darker. So, the Fear <laughs> the Walking Dead is darker as well, right? Well, certainly at the start of the pandemic, when we were seeing images on the news of uh, empty shelves in the grocery stores, all of us were <laughs> like, "What is happening? This is very much are we in the apocalypse." But there was a moment we, I think it was like the first two months of the pandemic when it started. A lot of us, anxiety was high, understandably, because we just didn't know. We didn't understand what was happening. Certainly, we've never been through this. Um, and trying to navigate through this new reality for all of us in the, the pandemic in the beginning stages of it. But we received an email from our showrunners, and there was a group of people who kind of adopted what we were doing on the show um, in season five where we left these care care packages, these care boxes all around the apocalypse. Take what you need, um, leave what you don't. Um, And they were were adopting that. Um, And and it just, it was so touching and meant so much to all of us. It was that, it was that bit of light that we we so desperately needed at the beginning of the pandemic. And and, and even even now, just knowing that, I feel that in in times of uh, trauma, grief, challenges, it's so wonderful to know that there are lots of good human beings out there 
in in our world who who are there to help each other and look out for each other and the kindness of strangers um, to witness has just been so deeply moving um, and kind of speaks to what we were talking about and setting up storyline wise in season five. So um, that was really special. And Fear the Walking Dead, the the following that it has. I mean, Karen, how blown away are you by the way the fans have gravitated and just taken hold of, of the characters and, and the storylines as well? We're so blessed to have our, our fandom so incredibly supportive and 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 so engaging. They're very they participate in everything that we do um and, and they're along for the ride with us. Um, I think every actor will speak, you know, for their show that, you know, uh, we wouldn't be possible. Our show would not be possible um, if it wasn't for the love and the dedication from our fandom. And they certainly welcomed me in with open arms right from day one and embraced Grace and took her in. And I'm so grateful to be part of this universe. The streaming has become so huge, especially over the last couple of years. Was there uh, what? What has been your your big stream or binge that you've had over the last year or so? Oh my God, where do I even begin? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, you know, it's 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 trying to catch up on shows that you you've always wanted to watch, um, and then also trying to find those heartfelt, inspiring shows that are going to just bring lightness. Um, which we all need during this pandemic. So everything from like Ted Lasso <laughs> to um, I May Destroy You uh, to now, I'll tell you what makes me so happy. I literally cannot stop smiling. Even just talking about it, it makes me smile. Is the great British Bake Off is now back on the new season <laughs> on Netflix. And every Friday, I will tune in and watch it. And I have this permanent cheesy grin and I'm just so happy watching it. Just watching this <laughs> wonderful community of, of people baking. It's so magical. So I'm very happy that's back on streaming now. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And again, uh, returning on Sunday, October 17th, the seventh season of Fear the Walking Dead. And Karen, want to make sure if folks have uh, any, want to find more information about the show. And then, of course, everything you've got going on social media wise, where the best place to keep up is. Oh, but those of you who are listening, please come say hello. I'm really proud of the the amazing human beings that grace my social media pages, very kind, lovely people. And they all talk amongst themselves on my page too, which is so wonderful. So come say hi. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Karen David official. And on Twitter, I'm at Karen David. I also have um, a tea with Karen uh, <laughs> chat sessions where I chat with um, all my wonderful active friends about their experiences and just navigating through the pandemic. So if you need a, uh, some company over a cup of tea, you can log on to teawithkaren.com. There you go. Well, again, Karen, it has been a privilege to visit with you. Looking forward to the new season of uh, Fear the Walking Dead, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again real soon. I would love that so much. Thank you so At the height of the COVID-19 quarantines, People were always talking about how hard it was to keep their days of the week straight, since every day was the same. Well, in a new survey, 63% of people say they frequently have to ask what day it is, with 51% saying it's because their days are so similar, 
and 81% say that their days have become more repetitive during the last 18 months. So there is still some carryover for them quarantines. Not everyone is back to work in an office and the ongoing precautions make it harder to be spontaneous. But it's not specific to being shut inside. 20% of people admit to regularly drifting through life without giving any thought to what they're actually doing. And 54% would be happy to experience the same day over and over, like in Groundhog Day, if it was their perfect day. Now, some of the daily routines that people say they do on autopilot include eating, showering, getting dressed, cooking, cleaning, and going for a walk. An instant New York Times bestseller debuted at number five. It is the Baseball 100. And we're going to talk with Joe Posnanski about it. And first off, Joe, appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Great to be here. Now, when did you start the, the, the Baseball 100? I'll let you give, a, give our listeners just kind of a breakdown of the, of the book and kind of where they first came into, in, into your heart, if you will. Yeah, well, it is it is uh, the baseball 100, 100 greatest players in baseball history, uh, ranked in, in 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 some sort of crazy order that I came up with, and uh, it's been in my heart for a very long time. I mean, it, you know, I've written this some versions of this for more than a decade, and and I would imagine that based on all of the stories in here, all of the all of the things that I do, I mean, it's 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 pretty, it's close to 900 pages. Uh, it's been a lifetime uh, of of being a baseball fan and and thinking about the game and greatness and and what I love about the game. So uh, it really has been a lifetime pursuit. And and uh, you know here we are. We have it. It's out. It's been out for about a week. You mentioned you got on the New York Times bestseller list, which is not normally where you find 900 page baseball books. Uh, so it's been mind blowing. The the response has been incredible, and I think it. It speaks to a lot of people out there uh, loving the game the way I do. Joe, as you as you put the book out there and you you name this the the Baseball One Hundred, what was what were your concerns to uh, to to the printing day for the release day and, and the feedback that you were going to get? Well, I, I don't think I had any concerns. I what I knew was that people were going to scream at me for <laughs> for where I ranked players. Right, like there was no there was no way around that. Uh, but I think that's good. I I think that's. That's what you know. Part of what makes sports great, part of what makes baseball great, is you know, part of what makes movies great. It's songs, you know, is arguing about what's better and who's better, and 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 so on. So, so I knew that was going to come up, uh, and it has on on many occasions and uh, already. Which I I think it'll it'll be you know that'll be the next ten years of my life. Will be uh, you know people yelling at me for ranking Ken Griffey Jr. too low. So, which I think is fine. I like I say I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and then, I, I wouldn't call it a concern, but one of the things I really wanted and, and, and have been so gratified that's happened is you put out a list like this, a book like this, and people might start to think of it as, oh, it's just, it's just clickbait, just somebody putting a list together. They're trying to, uh, to, to you know, rank the 100 players of people, you know, whatever. And that's not what this book is at all, as, as, as its length and, and weight will suggest. Uh, it is it is very much a book that I wrote uh, from the heart, and and uh, these stories are are to me, you know, the very essence of what baseball is and why baseball is great. And I, you know, I did, I, and I got to say, nobody has has responded 
that way. Nobody has responded like, oh, it's just a list. It's, it's, it is certainly for me much, much more than just that. And you talked about the, the 900 pages. As you delve into the stories of, of the Baseball 100 in your mind, is it the stories that are away from the field that really you think brings out the true essence of those individuals? In many cases, yes. I mean, there, there certainly are you know, things that happen on the field that are part of the game that are very, very much a part of, of this book and very, very much a part of the history of the game. But, but yes, I mean, one of the themes that, you know, people have talked a lot about this already to me, which is, which is great. One of the themes that, that recurs again and again and again in the book uh, is the story of fathers and sons. And so many of these great players had, you know, the most influential person in their lives were their fathers, whether it was a very tough father like Mickey Mantle's father who basically drove him into the game and, and you know, basically raised him to become a, a great major leaguer. Or a guy like Chipper Jones' father who, who played the game, uh, you know, when he was young and loved it and, and just sort of supported his son all the time. Or Carlton Fisk's father who was, uh, you know, this this very tough New Englander who, who his son never felt like he, he, he did enough to, to please or impress. So these are the kinds of stories that come up again and again, and I think they are at the heart of, of what uh, you know, makes baseball wonderful. And then, of course, there's lots and lots of stories uh, on the field, uh, teammates, great catches, great uh, you know, important home runs, and, and, and so on and so on and so on. So it, it's a blend of all those things, but, but yes, a lot of things from away from the field. And again, the the Baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski. I think I got the name right twice. I, I better cut it off at that. Not going to try a third time. But uh, Joe, what do you, what is your expected takeaway from the from the fans, whether they be baseball lovers or just uh, just fans of books? What is the, what is the takeaway you're hoping? Well, I I you know I, I have to say, I mean, I really am overwhelmed by the response already. It's you know it's been out a week and I've heard from so many people and I, there, are, there are probably three takeaways that, that have meant the most to me. One is people who say, you know what, this book has helped me fall in love with baseball again. I, I, can't, I can't even describe that. You know, that's what uh, Tony DeCouple said on CBS this morning and, and it, was, you know, it was like mind-blowing. Like, I, he just said it out of nowhere. I mean, I just was, was thrilled. The second one is, is the connections. You know, people telling me about you know, taking this book and, 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 you know, talking about it with their daughters or their sons or their mothers or their fathers. And, uh, that has been incredible to me, absolutely incredible. And, and, you know, I'm getting photos all the time now from people and, and their kids, you know, or 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid, you know, reading the book, tearing through it. I mean, that's, that's an incredible takeaway, you know, to get. And then, you know, the third takeaway are just people who just, say, you know what, I've, I'm a lifelong baseball fan, and I love the game, and I know the game, and I, I think you're wrong about where you ranked all these players, but I loved reading this. You know, I loved, I loved getting, uh, you know, I think you get closer, you know, and tell me things I didn't know, and, 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 and share stories with me, and give me a perspective. Of course, that's, every author wants that, right? You want, you want to believe that, that you're making uh, some sort of impact on people, and, and, uh, it's like I say, I, I really, I really am, am humbled by, by the response. It's been amazing. 
That's awesome. Be sure and uh, and check it out. The Baseball 100, Joe Posnanski. Want to make sure and, uh, and let our listeners know where they can find not only more info about the Baseball but 100, but all the other writings that you've got going as well, sir. Yeah, well, you can certainly come to my website at joeposnanski.com. Uh, that is where my writing is, and, and uh, you can you can probably find out way more about me than you want. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Jay Posnanski, and uh, I'm out there. I'm, I'm there to be found. There you go. Well, Joe, it has been great to visit with you. Looking forward to delving more into the book, and hopefully we'll catch up again real soon. I'd love that. Thank you. We do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes at 313 Falcon Road. You can give them a call at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. They've always got the latest hardware and they've got the largest selection of disposable flavors in Southwest Oklahoma. They've got special savings on their Wacky Wednesdays and Saturdays. Check them out on Facebook for more information. Since Halloween is coming up, some candy experts were asked about the differences between cheap candy like the stuff we all grew up eating and expensive candy like you'd see in specialty stores. Now they say the differences mostly come down to three main things. Number one, the packaging. Fancy candy tends to come packaged in boxes with ribbons you need to unwrap. It's different than just tearing into a Snickers bar, obviously. Number two, the production process. Artisan candy is usually handmade in small batches, which takes a lot more time and effort compared to a mass-produced stuff. Now, there might also be better sourced ingredients or an emphasis on more sustainable practices. And number three, brand partnerships and marketing. Luxury candy retailers spend big bucks on brand partnerships and collaborations with celebrities, like Sugarfina's gummy bears that are made from Dom Perignon champagne. But ultimately, according to one expert, sugar is sugar, and things like gummy bears and jelly beans are made up almost entirely of sugar, so the calories and nutrition facts would be similar no matter how expensive it was. Got a former CIA officer, you might know him as the creator of the hit TV series, The Americans. Got a new book to talk about, interested to talk about this one, Russia Upside Down. We've got Joseph Weisberg with us today. And first off, Joe, I sure appreciate you taking the time, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Joe, tell us uh, Russia Upside Down, the timeliness of this. And uh, when did you start noticing that uh, you really had to put the thoughts down and, and share these with others around you as well? Well, there's a very specific answer to that, to tell the truth. You know, my whole life I'd written fiction and made stories up and wrote TV, which was made up also. And then a couple of years after the Americans came out, a friend of mine who worked at the CIA asked me to come give a speech there. And I said, great, because I realized I had, while making up all these stories, I come to a lot of ideas and opinions about the Soviet Union, its history and politics, and even more importantly, how we're dealing with Russia today. So I thought coming and saying all that stuff at the CIA would be great. Uh, it turns out there was a misunderstanding. He wanted me to talk about counterintelligence, not the Soviet Union. So I never gave the speech. And I felt so disappointed that I thought I'm going to put all those ideas in a book. Now, the research for that, I mean, what was the eye opening part about it that that really stuck out to you that, that you knew you had to share? I had a kind of a moment. Um, I was probably in my mid 30s and a lot of books were coming out 
from former KGB officers who never could have written books or talked about anything like that during the Soviet mm-hmm. era. But now the Soviet Union was gone, they could. And I read one by a guy named Victor Cherkashin, who had worked his whole career at the KGB and been a very important officer there, had run a lot of spies, important spies like Ames and Hansen. And the book was completely shocking to me because I had had this view that anyone who worked at the KGB was essentially like a villain and you know an instrument of this evil empire. And when I read the book, it was almost the opposite. This guy seemed so much like me and my friends at the CIA. He had the same way of looking at the world. I mean, different views on who was right and who was wrong, but the same sort of perspectives other than that. He was very likable. His friends were all sort of social guys, which is also part of what the CIA hires for. And he loved his job and and loved and believed in his country. And I thought, oh, I've really had this for lack of a better way to say it, upside down. And I started to rethink everything I'd really ever believed about it. And it was a pretty short path from there to thinking I wanted to share this. What do you think is going to take for the relationship to grow the way you see it, Joe? I mean, what do we as Americans have to do and and what boundaries do we have to take down, I guess, is is the real question. I think the most important thing is we sort of get away from this idea that we are the good guys and they are the bad guys, that we are virtuous and they are evil, that we are wonderful, beautiful lovers of democracy and all they care about is spreading authoritarianism. I I understand where that came from because I used to think exactly like that, but I understand now that it was very black and white thinking. It was just too one-dimensional. Both our countries are much more complex than that. We both have good sides and bad sides. We both have done some good things and bad things out in the world. We both have virtues and incredibly serious problems at home. And I think that if we can understand that we sort of nationally done this thing where we've taken everything wrong and bad about ourselves and kind of projected it onto them to make them the bad guys. If we can get away from that, then I think we can break out of the conflict because we sort of need the conflict right now to keep thinking of ourselves as so good. And Joe, how hard was it to stay apolitical in such a political landscape of a story, if you will? That's a great question. It was it was a constant challenge you know, I felt that I I wasn't so interested in liberal conservative, Democrat, Republican, in a way, because the whole issue that I'd grown up on, which was the Cold War, and that I was writing about, and and its current stages now with Russia, those have been weirdly nonpartisan. Generally speaking, both sides of the aisle agreed that the Soviet Union was terrible and needed to be fought. And both sides of the aisle are united in wanting to sort of level sanctions and do all kinds of things to fight back against Russia. So it was in a way, it wasn't that hard not to get pulled into that in in those parts of the book where I was discussing those things. For the political side of things to be worked out uh, with the different policies uh, between Russia and and the U.S., what is it going to take on the political side to mend those relations? I'd like to see us make some unilateral moves to de-escalate the conflict. So, for example, we have all these sanctions that we've leveled against Russia. I mean, a lot of them. And they are really, it's an attack on their economy. And I think we should try just lifting the sanctions. Now, I can't tell you what will happen if we do that. Maybe nothing will happen. But I also think there's a possibility that there would be a response, that there would be some uh, effort on Russia's part to pull back on some of their attacks on us. I think there is a reasonable possibility that they would also be interested in 
de-escalating this conflict. By the way, I wouldn't mind if they took the first step either, but that's not, it's not really up to me or up to us to say what they should do. The only thing we have control of is our own actions and our own foreign policy. That's right. And uh, again, the book, Russia Upside Down. Joseph Weisberg, I want to make sure and uh, and let folks know not only where they can find more info about the book, but uh, your other writings and uh, social media as well, sir. Well, the book, Russia Upside Down, should be uh, in bookstores, on the internet, Amazon, uh, all those places. Just, you know, Google it and you'll find it pretty easily. Uh, the TV show, The Americans, is uh, streaming on Amazon. And everybody should take a look. It's six seasons worth of stuff. So if you like it, you got a lot, a lot there. And uh, my other two books are An Ordinary Spy and 10th Grade. If you want to get away from the politics and into just some humor about growing up as a teenager, try 10th Grade. There you go. Well, Joe, again, thank you so much for your time and uh, wish you a great rest of your week. Looking forward to spending some more time with the book myself, sir. Thank you, Cameron. It was really nice talking to you. Well, thanks again for joining us for this 135th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, question, maybe anything else you'd like to know, you can hit me up on the contact page at gqwithcam.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at gqwithcam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, visit our merch store where we've got hoodies, shirts, tumblers, mugs, stickers, and more. That's gqwithcam.com forward slash shop. If you have a special guest idea, email me gqwithcam at gmail.com. Thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes at 313 Falcon Road. You can give them a call at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. And thanks to our good friend, Brandon Allen, He came up with our theme music, and we're going to let him play us out. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Friday.